When my mom fell seven months ago and went into the hospital, we weren't sure that she was going to make it. And my dad didn't often talk about God or other um, relationships, religious-wise. But he told me when she was in the hospital that he woke up that morning in their apartment at friend's home, and they have a window right beside their bed, and a red cardinal was flying outside of the window. And he said he'd never seen a red cardinal outside of his window in the six years that mom and he had lived there. And then it came and looked right at him and then flew away. And he said to me, I believe God was telling me that each of us have our own plan. Two weeks later, mom passed away. And my brother and sister-in-law were going to go and tell my dad that she had passed. And after arriving, my dad said that that morning he woke up. And once again, that red cardinal was right at the window, staring right at him, and then flew away. And he said in that moment he knew that mom had passed, and he knew that God had a unique plan for each of us. Now, I'll tell you this story because as we study the Song of Songs, it's so important for each of you to remember that God has a unique plan for your life. Each of you has your own story. Some of you in this room have been happily married for one year, two years, five years, ten years, thirty years. Some of you are really struggling in your marriages. Some of you are divorced And the song of songs stirs both desire and heartache over the betrayal that you've experienced. Some of you are single and you're full of hope. And some of you are single and you've given up hope. Every one of us in this room is in a different place. And God is writing our stories. And I think it's so important as we study the Song of Songs that we remember that God wrote this to each one of us in our specific time and place in our stories. He wrote it to remind us of the beauty of sex between a husband and a wife. And he also wrote it to call us into deeper intimacy with him. Tim Keller says whenever he is dry in his relationship with Christ, he goes and he reads through the Song of Songs. Because it's by reading through it that he realizes that his bridegroom, Jesus, is deeply, deeply in love with him. And it draws him into a deeper intimacy. My hope and prayer as we walk through this book is that God will meet each of you. And that God will use this book to transform and heal your hearts, your marriages. Now, since some of us, including myself, have been gone over the last past weekends, I want to give a quick overview of where we've journeyed. 
And I think it's important, at least for me, as I read the Song of Songs, it's poetry and there's a lot of conversations going on and it can be very confusing. And so for me, in my simple mind, it's easy to think that this story is ultimately about two characters, he and she, two lovers, and their relationship with one another. And this story, as we read through it, it, it's in reality, and it, it goes back and forth as he and she have these conversations. And then it's also dreams that she has about their future together. And the dreams can be confusing, just like our dreams, because dreams bounce all over the place. If you've dreamt in the middle of the night and woke up in the morning, you, you're just here one minute, you're there the next And so keep that in mind as we read through, especially the dream sequences, because they're not linear. They bounce all over the place, and they don't always necessarily make sense to us. Now, the first week, Ben helped us see the growth of relationship between he and she. He reminded us that healthy relationships are rooted first in friendship and then in romance. I say this all the time to couples that come to my office. Physical intimacy must always, must always flow out of emotional intimacy with your partner. Now last week, Andy walked us through a dream sequence that she had about her wedding. And in it, we see the male's role in delighting in his bride protecting her and providing for her. And we also see in that dream sequence the need to abstain from intimacy with another until you're actually married to them. Now this week we're continuing in a dream. It's a dream that she has concerning her lover. And as we look at our text this morning, I want us to see two things. First, a night terror, and then secondly, a redemptive dream. Pray with me. Father, we recognize this beautiful word found in Song of Songs. And Lord, it's an uncomfortable topic for many of us to talk about, to enter into. And we ask Holy Spirit that you would give us ears to hear because it is your word. And you've given it to us to teach us, to care for us, to transform us. And so will you give us ears to hear this morning? And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. Or if... The text is in the bulletin. And the first thing that we're going to look at is a night terror. Now, Sam and Rachel had always dreamt of being married. And they were in college together. They were friends for a long time. And then Sam had a crush on Rachel. She said no at first and then said yes. And then they finally, they began dating. And like any young Christian couple, they struggled some physically, but they had decided to abstain until their wedding night. So they got engaged, planned their wedding, 
had a beautiful wedding ceremony. And that night, they consummated their marriage. And right after, Rachel began to weep and weep and weep. Not tears of joy, and she wasn't even quite sure what was going on, but tears of sorrow and pain. Sam didn't know what to do. And so they continued on for months, experiencing intimacy. And every time they did afterwards, Rachel would just weep and weep. And then months into their relationship, she just decided no more. No more intimacy for years. Until they showed up in my office. And when they showed up in my office, they began sharing their story. And saying they needed help. Now, as I tell you that story, I think many of you in this room are probably thinking, that's the exception, especially for Christians. But I've been meeting with men and women for 20 years. And unfortunately, that is not the exception. That is far more the norm. The unfortunate thing is, we in the church, we don't dare talk about it. We don't share about our struggles with intimacy. We sit alone with pain, the heartache, the confusion, the guilt, and the loneliness. But one of the things that I love most about Song of Songs is that it invites us into the light. It invites us to talk about sex. And it also reminds us that because of the fall, many of us have experienced sexual trauma. And that's left us confused, sad, numb, and ambivalent towards our spouses. In our text this morning, we see this ambivalence. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. She's having another dream. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. She hears her beloved knocking at the door. He says to her, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Her lover is pursuing her. He's expressing his desire for her. Now look at her response in verse 3. I had put off my garments. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? She's saying that she wants to stay in bed. She says, I've taken a bath and changed my clothes. I don't want to open the door. I don't want to be with you. Dare I say, she's not aroused by her lover's initiative. But then notice the shift in verse 4. My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. She hears the beloved turning the latch of the door, and arousal is stirred. Her desire for him returns. Her heart was thrilled. She wants him. He pursues after her one second. And she wants nothing to do with him. And then the next second, he pursues after her, and she longs to see him. 
we call this place of wanting something and not wanting something ambivalence. And while feelings of ambivalence will occur from time to time in any marriage, one person is not in the mood or simply is too tired, for those who have experienced sexual trauma, until healing occurs, ambivalence to some degree or another is always a part of their relationship. I want to move towards you. I don't want to move towards you. I want to be physical with you. I don't want you to touch me. Sexual trauma attacks our desire for intimacy, leaving us broken and confused. It is in this place that God wants us to honor our bodies. Now please hear me loudly. It is in this place where it would be ungodly, unloving, and utterly unhealthy to tell your spouse that he or she simply needs to push through their ambivalence. The church has been so guilty of this with both men and women, but especially with women, telling them that it's their duty as wives to always offer themselves to their husbands whenever he desires intimacy. Because if you don't, then he's going to turn to some other woman. I believe Paul's response to that is the same response he had in Galatians. When people were distorting the gospel, he used the word anathema, which means literally, cursed be anyone who says something like this. When any of us do this to our spouse, we are not loving them. We are hurting them, and we might even be re-traumatizing them. And then also... If we're the ones who've experienced sexual trauma and we're feeling this ambivalence and we try to push through it ourselves, then we might even re-wound ourselves. Look at verses 5 and 6. After feeling conflicted and confused and vacillating towards her lover, the woman pushed through the ambivalence, jumps out of bed, runs to the door, she throws it open, to find that her beloved had turned and gone away. And what does she say? She says, my soul failed me when he spoke. She doesn't blame her lover. She blames herself. Hear the words of self-contempt flooding her heart and mind. By not honoring her ambivalence and moving towards him anyway, she places herself in harm's way. She goes out into the dark of night, seeking after him, but found him not. And while she was out in the dark, look at verse 7, the watchmen, they found her, they beat her, they bruised her, and they took away her veil, her innocence. And then in verse 8, she cries out, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am sick with love. She's literally saying that her heart is broken, that she is sick and desperately needs healing. So you might be asking, okay, I hear you. Simply pushing through ambivalence is not the right way. What should I do? How do I seek healing? 
Now, unfortunately, the rest of the text, it doesn't tell us. In a moment, we're going to talk about what redemption looks like, but it doesn't tell us how to get there. And so I briefly want to lean into common grace and share a few helpful principles that trailblazers like Dan Allender, who wrote The Wounded Heart, Sue Johnson, who wrote Hold Me Tight, Stringer, who wrote Unwanted, Vanderkelp, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. All of these folks have written these incredible books to help us move through sexual trauma to healing. And let me also say, as you hear this, if you need help this morning, if you need healing, please don't hesitate to come and talk with me or Harrison. We'd love to have a conversation with you. We don't want you to stay in the dark. So what are some steps to healing? First, listen to your body. What is your body telling you? Do you know the best way that you can figure out what you're feeling is not to think about what you're feeling, is to check in with your body. Your mind will take emotions and desires and twist them and confuse them. Your body will tell you exactly what is going on inside of you. And so if your body withdraws from your partner, from your spouse in the midst of intimacy, listen to it. And then secondly, honor what your body is saying to you. I've already said this. I'll say it again. If your body is saying to you, whoa, stop, then stop. Thirdly, find a good counselor who understands sexual trauma and will provide a safe place to talk through your story. And I think it's important here when I use the word sexual trauma, probably most of you go to rape. You go to kind of the worst case scenarios. But sexual trauma can be ex- just a, a, a blip exposure to pornography. Sexual trauma can be a teacher that gives an inappropriate joke, sexual joke in a class. That can be sexually traumatizing to an individual. Sexual trauma can be you seeing your parents undressed when you're young. Sexual trauma exists all over our society. And I dare say that probably 99% of us in this room have experienced some type of sexual trauma in our lives. We turn on the TV, we hear commercials about Viagra. In some ways, for a young, tender kid or heart, that can be sexually traumatizing. And so we need to listen to our bodies. We need to honor what our body is saying to us. We need to find a good counselor who understands sexual trauma. Fourthly, as you feel safe, you need to invite your spouse to enter into the healing process with you. And then fifthly and lastly, remember that just as God saw Hagar in the desert after she had been sexually abused, and she was sexually abused by Abraham and Sarah, What did he do? He moved toward her, and what did he say to her? He said, Hagar, I see you. I saw what they did to you, and I see you now. And I love you, and I love your son that was born out of that traumatic experience. And I'm going to take care of you. 
God can bring hope and healing to you individually and to your marriage. Healing this side of heaven, it's, it's a slow process. It's not like a, a raging river. It's more like a babbling brook. And the way I like to think of it is that God in his grace and his mercy, Jesus, who was what? Naked on a cross. Experiencing what? All the eyes looking at him. Imagine that. That's sexual trauma. He went through that so that he could walk beside us who have also experienced sexual trauma and offer healing and hope. So the first thing that we've looked at in our text this morning is this night terror. Good news this Mother's Day. I'm not going to leave you in the night terror. The second thing that we're going to look at is the redemptive dream. As we heal, our desire for intimacy will be restored and renewed. Again, it's a slow process. And we see this healing occur in her dream as she begins to pivot in verses 10 through 16. After being encouraged by the others, this chorus, to move on to someone else, which is let me just say, an all-too-familiar refrain in our society today. Move on. She expresses her love for and her delight in her man. And then she begins to move down his body. In verse 12, his eyes are like doves beside streams of water. Verse 13, his lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. Imagination, it plays a huge role here. The brain is the most powerful sexual organ in your body. And we see that in the beauty of, of this passage. And we see her confidence and courage grow. Verse 16, his mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend. Trimper Longman says, one of the most remarkable features of the Song of Songs is the confident voice of the woman as she pursues relationship with the man. She keeps moving toward intimacy. She wants to be his and for him to enjoy her. And look at chapter 6, verse 2. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to raise in the gardens and father the lilies. Now, as you hear that voice, that verse, does that bring to mind some other picture in Scripture? What is the author of the Song of Songs doing here? He's taking us back to the garden. He's taking us back to the Garden of Eden before the fall. The language here that the author uses is the language of the garden. And he's saying the curse is reversed. One commentator says, In a word, it returns us to the garden of God. There, through the imaginative vehicle of poetry, we may experience the healing of painful rupture in our relationship both to other human beings and God. 
The lover's garden of delight is the very opposite of the harsh world into which Adam and Eve fell. The lover's garden is subtly but consistently represented as the garden of delight that Eden was meant to be. The place where life may be lived fully in the presence of God. Phyllis Tribble says, Female and male in mutuality and love, naked, without shame, equal with duplication, living in gardens where nature celebrates oneness, animals reminding them of responsibility for lesser creatures, fruits pleasing to the eye, living waters replenish their gardens. In this redemptive dream, we see healing take place in this woman. And this healing renews and restores her desire for intimacy so that she can move toward her lover fully. We see God redeeming and healing and restoring the Garden of Eden. The reversal of the trauma that many of us have experienced. The Song of Songs, it offers us hope this morning. Hope for healing in our own individual stories and hope for healing in your marriages. No brokenness is too great for God. If both partners are willing, husband and wife, to own their sin, to repent and to place their trust in God, redemption in marriages is possible. If both husband and wife are willing to engage in therapy and get help and healing, hope is possible. And so if you're here this morning and you're wondering, can God heal your sexual brokenness? What is the Song of Songs answer to you this morning? Yes. There is nothing that you've been through. No trauma And trust me, I have heard stories that have just taken me to my knees over these last 20 years. But I can say I've also seen God step into that pain and trauma and bring redemption and healing. Step into those marriages and bring healing and redemption. And so if you're here this morning and you're wondering, can God heal you? The answer is yes. If you're here this morning and you're asking, can God heal your marriage? The answer is yes. And if you have not yet experienced sexual trauma, I hope you don't. But if there's a possibility because we live in a fallen world that you will, come back to the Song of Songs and remember that God can heal you. That God can transform you. That God can save your marriages. This redemptive dream shouts to us in a sexually broken world, there is hope. The garden is being restored. Your relationship with yourself, with your spouse, and most importantly, your relationship with God is being restored. And this morning, we celebrate our union with the bridegroom as we come to this table At the table, we were reminded of the one who left his throne in heaven to cleave to you and become one with you. 
He gave himself completely for you. He died for you to make you naked and unashamed. Unashamed. 